this morning. Get your Bible out and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. This morning we're going to go away from the book of Luke and we're going to turn to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. So turn there and as you're turning there, I hope you remember what I told you last week because last week I told you that throughout this school year, we are going to memorize Scripture together as a church. And what we're going to do is we're going to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. So last week I told you this week we were going to quote Matthew 5, starting with verses 1 and 2. So I hope you got it. You got it? That was pretty bad. Okay, so some of you might not have been here this week or last week, and so this is going to be very unusual. I'm going to show mercy upon you now. This is not me. I'm telling you, every spiritual inventory I've ever taken, mercy is the bottom of the list for me. I, am, I have not the gift of mercy. My family can tell you that. But I'm going to be merciful today, and I'm going to put Matthew 5, 1 and 2 on the screen so we can read it together. But next week, it ain't going to happen. Next week, you have to have memorized Matthew 5, verses 3 and 4, and we will quote it together next week just like this. So I don't know if I told you this, but what I'm memorizing anyway, I'm memorizing out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, that's what I preach out of, and I think, especially memorization-wise, that's the easiest in, the, in all the versions of the Bible to memorize. It just has a language just like we talk today. So that's what I'm memorizing. So this is verses 1 and 2. So let's read it together. Next week, we'll quote it together as we get to Matthew 5, 3, and 4. So read verse 1. Here it goes. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, And he began to teach them. So as we begin to hear the voice of God through memorization and hiding the word of God in our heart, I promise if you do that, that will be a foundation in your life that will never be shaken. So remember next week, Matthew 5, we'll do verses 3 and 4. Well, this morning we're going to turn to this section of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. Because as I was coming home from Montgomery, Montgomery, I told you earlier, that we had a family in our church that just experienced a tragedy. And the tragic accident happened in Montgomery. So on Wednesday around lunch, Paige and I went down to be with Brad and Ashley and their families. And as we were coming home, I just started talking to God. And for whatever reason, for me anyway, when I drive, that just seems like, for me, I can get alone with God in that. And He talks to me as I drive. And so as I was driving home, God reminded me of something that happened about 10 years ago, in my life anyway. And it was a morning just like this. It was during a worship service. It wasn't here. I was in another church pastoring. And at the end of service, when we have the response time, the invitation, a young mom started walking down the aisle, and she had with her her two-year-old little girl, and they were just walking down the center of aisle of our church, and this family, I didn't really know them. They had only been coming to our church just a short time. And I didn't honestly know if they were believers or not. I didn't know. But as they walked down the aisle, the young mom was just weeping and crying. And she got to me and she said, John, would you please pray for my daughter? She said she's been diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. So would you pray for her? And so we did. We anointed her with oil, like James 5 says. And we prayed that God would heal her take away that leukemia and just bless that little girl with life. So at the end of that prayer, as her family was there and as other people in the church were just gathering around, encouraging them, the mom just grabbed me by the hand and she 
He took me off kind of the side of the worship center and I knew what was coming. I knew it. And she looked at me in the eyes and she said, John, why? Why did God let this happen to my little girl? Now, that question has been asked a million times in a million different ways. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why? And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I don't have answers to those questions. I can't adequately tell you why. I cannot. No one can. If they tell you they can, run from them. They can't. But as I was driving, God just spoke into my heart. And He said, John, people have questions. And guess what? I have questions. And here's what I want you to understand. Just because you have questions, and just because you have questions for God, that is not a sin. God is big enough to handle your questions. Just because you question God doesn't mean you have less faith in God. It doesn't mean that you doubt God. It just means you're asking Him some questions. And guess what? He will answer those questions. Now, He might not answer them in the way you want Him to answer them and how He wants you to answer them, but He will still answer your questions. So as I was driving home, I just started thinking about questions. And so this morning, I'm not going to answer your questions. I understand that. But I am going to try just to give you some biblical perspective on some of them. And so this morning, to start, we're just going to read these verses out of 2 Corinthians. Because these verses are important, especially for us as a church family. And then I'm just going to ask some questions. So if you have your Bible, look there. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll start reading in verse 3. This is what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Verse 6. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in the comfort that God gives. Now there is a word that is mentioned over and over and over again, just in those few words, verses, and that is the word comfort. Now the Greek word there for comfort doesn't really mean what we think it means, especially in the English language. What the Greek word literally is saying there is it's saying that when you are walking down a road and when you have a heavy load upon your shoulders and when you cannot bear it no more and when it is weighing you down in such a way that it is pressing you down to the road, then someone comes alongside you and picks that weight off of your shoulders and puts that on himself and carries it for you. And guess who that someone is? According to the Word of God right here, it is God. God will comfort you in all 
of your troubles. He will comfort you. Why do you think Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. That's because he is the God of all comfort. And even if I cannot answer your questions today, even if no one on this earth can answer your questions, God will come alongside and he will pick the load off of your back and he will carry it himself. That is a promise of Scripture. And He does that so that not only can you be comforted, but you can use that comfort to help someone else. That's the church. So this morning, some questions. Four of them. That's all I have time for. But the first one is this. Why does it hurt so bad? Why does it hurt? Why does it hurt when we experience loss? Why does it hurt when our loved ones reject us? Why does it hurt when we're broken? When we're sick? Why does it hurt? Well, I can tell you why it hurts. It's because we were not created to hurt. God did not create us to live in the world in which we are living. We are not created to live in a world of suffering and pain and heartache and sickness and brokenness. That's not why God created us. God created us to live in perfection and to live in His presence and to walk among Him and to talk with Him and to be with Him forever and ever and ever. That's what we were created for. And if you want to read about that, go read the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, when God created us, He created us for paradise, for the garden, for heaven. That's where we were created for. And when we were walking in that, we were walking with God. And there was no sickness. There was no brokenness. There was no shame. There was no suffering. None of that existed. But God did create us to love. And the Bible says He created us in His own image. And He created us in His image because He wanted us to love Him. And for love to be love, love cannot be forced. It has to be a choice. And so when God created us, He created us with a disposition to choose. To choose to love Him or to choose to reject Him. And unfortunately in the garden, guess what choice we made? We chose to reject. We chose to disobey. We chose sin. And ever since that day, We have been living with the consequences of that one choice because that one choice has compounded into many choices and choices and choices and sin and sin and evil and evil until today we live in a world that is evil, that is broken. And we suffer pain and we suffer loss and we suffer sickness and on and on and on. But God did not create us for that. Created us to be with him. Now, one day, the hope of the word of God, the hope of scripture, the promises of God is if we are followers and believers in Jesus Christ and through that children of God, one day we will once again be with him and we will live with him and we will walk with him and talk with him and we will not experience shame and brokenness and all those things. 
But until that day, until Jesus returns, we live in a world of sin. And I can promise you, it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt bad sometimes. But understand who God is. He is the source of all comfort. And when you are burdened, when you have a heavy load on your shoulders, when you cannot walk anymore, guess who comes alongside and picks it up and picks you up and walks along with you? God. That's what the Bible says. So take rest in that. Even when it hurts. A second question. It's very appropriate for this week. Is this. Do young children go to heaven when they die? Do young children go to heaven when they die? Now we believe what the word of God says about salvation. We believe that you are saved by grace through faith when you believe in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8. So when you repent of your sins and when you turn from your sin and turn to God through Jesus, putting your faith in Him, that is salvation. But what about a young child who doesn't understand even who Jesus is and what He has done? They don't understand sin. And they have never willfully rebelled or rejected God. What about them? Listen to me. I believe with all my heart that God is a just God. Listen to what Genesis 18.25 says. Genesis 18.25 says this. God judges all the earth and He always does what is right. He always does what is right. And I believe with all my heart for a young child who has never willfully sinned against God or rejected God or rebelled against God and does not understand sin, I believe that they are with Jesus Christ in heaven when they die. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew 19. He says this in verse 13. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them to pray, but the disciples rebuked the people. Then Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them, For such belongs the kingdom of God. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Who belongs the kingdom of God? Such as these, these little children. And if we ever want to experience heaven, the Bible says we must have the faith of a little child to experience it. So do children go to heaven? Yes, I believe they do. And let me tell you scripturally why I believe that. And these verses come from the Old Testament. They come from 2 Samuel. But in 2 Samuel, we read about a man named King David. And in two different places in the Bible, the Bible says that King David is a man after God's own heart. And guess what? The Bible is not the one saying that. Do you know who says that? The Bible says God says it. It wasn't somebody walking down the street and says David and says, Oh boy, that's a guy after God's own heart. That's not what happened. God says, He, David, is a man after my own heart. And this man, after God's own heart, in 2 Samuel 12, had a young son, a baby, who was struck with an illness, a sickness. 
David began to pray for him. He began to fast for him. He laid down on the ground in the dirt in sackcloth and ash and he would not eat. And his advisors would come to him, King, you have to eat something. You have to eat something. And he said, no, not as long as my child's sick. I will not eat something. And eventually that child died. And the advisors were afraid to tell him because they said this. They said, look at him now while his child was living. What's he going to be like now that he knows his child is dead? And King David saw them whispering. And he knew what had happened. And this is what the Bible says that David did. Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate it. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While your child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped mourning and you're eating again. Verse 22. And David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day. But he cannot return to me. One day I will go to him. But he cannot come back to me. What is David talking about? David, a man after God's own heart, knew that his child was in heaven. And one day he himself would be in heaven alongside his child. And he would be with him forever. I will go to him. There's other verses in 2 Samuel that bring this point home even closer. Later on in 2 Samuel, David has another son. And this son is older, and this son is named Absalom. And Absalom chooses to rebel against his father, the king, and he also chooses to rebel against God and do what God says not to do. Eventually, it leads to a war between King David and Absalom, who wants to be king. Eventually, Absalom dies. I want you to see the difference in King David when his other son dies, Absalom. Verse 33 of 2 Samuel 18. The king, David, was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, why the difference? Because just like he knew his baby and where his baby was, he also knew where his son Absalom was. And it wasn't in heaven with God. Because Absalom had rejected God. And that's the difference in the morning. So when young children die, do they go to heaven? I believe with all my heart, according to Scripture, and that God always does what is right. I believe with all my heart, the answer is yes. Third question. Why do we pray? This is actually a question I asked driving home from Montgomery. And I asked God, God, why do we pray in times like this? 
mean, so much being there with the family. I wanted to do something and I wanted to help them. But there wasn't words I could say. There was nothing I could do. Honestly, nothing. And as I was driving home, I started praying for Brad and Ashley specifically. And this was my prayer. As they were driving in front of us, I knew that they were about to get to their house and walk into that house for the first time without Elijah. So I started praying for them. Because I knew how hard that was going to be. And I asked the question, God, why do we pray in the first place? And God said something to me I had never thought of in my life. I'd never even heard this. God said to me, John, do you understand that prayer is so important to me that I pray? Think about that. Prayer is so important to God that God Himself prays. If you don't believe it, go read Romans 8. The greatest chapter in the Bible for me anyway. In Romans 8, in Romans 8.26, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us, praying for us. When we don't have words to speak, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Not only that, go on down to 8. Verse 34 of Romans 8, 34, it talks about Jesus Christ, and it tells you where Jesus Christ is this very moment. It says that He is at the right hand of God, and He is interceding for us. That means He is praying for us. The word truly means pleading for us is what it means. God prays. And if you ever want to know the difference between God and Satan, and I know there are many, but here's a great distinction between God and Satan. Go read Revelation 12 sometime. In Revelation 12, it tells you who Satan is. It says he's the accuser of the brethren. The accusers of the brothers and sisters of Christ. And it says there in verse 10 of Revelation 12 that Satan does this day and night. He accuses you before God. Day and night. So day and night, if Satan is accusing you before God, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for you. So that means when Satan speaks and when he says that you are not loved, Jesus says, I love them enough to die for them. When Satan says, you are not worth living, Jesus says, I came to give them life. And Satan says, why don't you quit? Jesus prays that God, the source of all comfort, will come and comfort you. That's why we pray. Because God prays. And prayer is the vehicle. It is the means in which God works on this earth. He works through prayer. And when you pray, God works through you. And so that is the meaning. That is the source. That is why we as a church exist. We exist to make disciples. But once they become disciples, guess what we do? We come alongside and we serve them and we intercede for them, just like Jesus. And we hold them up. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says in verse 2, Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. 
And so the way we share one another's burdens is when we intercede for them, when we plead for them, when we pray before God for them. That's the ministry of the church. And that's how God moves and that's how God works. That's why we pray. So one more question. The hard one. Why? Why does God allow suffering? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why? I cannot answer that question. I cannot. But I can give you some reasons from the Bible that might help you understand. There are two of them. One is this. One is God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus. Now, the theological term for this is sanctification. Now, most of us think that salvation happens in the past tense. It's just something that happened to us back when we repented of our sins and trusted Jesus Christ, and then salvation's over. Well, that's not true. Now, did it happen in past tense? Yes, it happened in past tense. You were justified by faith in the past if you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. But salvation only begins there. It does not stop there. Because of the rest of your life, God is sanctifying you. He is molding. He is shaping. And He is shaping you into the image of Christ Jesus. And He will do that until you take your last breath and you see Jesus Christ face to face. Then you will be glorified. But until that point... He is sanctifying you. And if you're like me, most of the time that takes the fire. It takes the heartache, and it takes the brokenness, and it takes the pain. It just takes it. But God works through it. And suffering has a purpose. And He uses it to make you and to mold you and to shape you to look just like Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus looks like, go read the Gospels. And He is shaping you into that image. And when He's complete, you will go be with Him forever. Another reason that God allows suffering is to force you And I say force. Force you to depend on Him. Because again, if you're like me, and I bet you are, when times are good and when there's money in the bank and food on the table and no problems whatsoever, who do you tend to trust in? Yourself. But when times are hard and when there ain't money in the bank, when there ain't food in the pantry, when people are rejecting you and leaving you left and right, then who do you trust in? You turn to God. And so suffering forces that issue. It forces you to rely on Him. And when you rely on Him, and when you depend on Him, guess what He does? Exactly what Paul says. He comes alongside and He picks the load off your back and puts it on Himself. That's why we suffer. But there's one last thing I want you to see. Because it's important. I want you to know that even when we suffer, even when we hurt, even when there is pain, 
none of that can take away the love of God. I just want to read you a few verses out of the book of Romans. That same chapter that I quoted earlier, Romans 8. And I just want you to listen to these verses. Listen to what God says, starting in verse 35. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? If we're persecuted or hungry or destitute? Or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our So even when you hurt, even when you are broken, even when you are threatened with death, even when you lose loved ones, no matter what it is, in this earth or in heaven above, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise of Scripture. One of my favorite stories comes from the mission field really where we get modern-day missions. And it's a story of two Moravian missionaries who lived in Germany, in Hernhut. These two young missionaries in their 20s heard about an island in the West Indies where a British landowner had 3,000 slaves and he forced them to work in sugarcane fields. And this British landowner had made this statement. He said he was done with religion. He hated God and he was finished with all that. And he even said that there would never be any man of God on this island. And he took it this far. He said, if there's even someone shipwrecked off this island, we will keep them quarantined, separated, segregated, so they cannot come and tell us about God. These two missionaries heard that these 3,000 men and women would work and they would live and they would die never hearing the name Jesus. So the only thing they could do sell themselves into slavery on that island. And that's what they did. Their families did not understand. Their church did not understand. But the day for which they left for that island in the West Indies, their church from Hernhut and their family came and stood on the dock. And these two young Moravian missionaries boarded the boat. And as the boat was untied and it began to float away, and as they saw their family on that dock weeping and crying, one of the young boys took the other by the hand and lifted his hand high. And he cried out to the top of his lungs. He said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And with that, they sailed away. I love that statement. Because I love that last word. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Do you understand that Jesus Christ joined you in your suffering? 
He joined us and he suffered. That's why Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, for me, the greatest chapter in the Old Testament, says that he, Jesus, was despised and rejected. He was a man acquainted with the deepest of grief. Jesus suffered. And he suffered for this reason. So that one day you will never suffer again. He lived and he died and he suffered so that you can be a child of God. So that one day this pain will be gone. This world of suffering will be no more. And we will be with God forever. And this is what it will be like. Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then He said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And He also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the very voice of Jesus Christ and what he says is trustworthy and true and you can write it down and you can go to the bank on it one day we will never suffer again because he himself will come alongside and he will wipe every tear from our eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying and pain why because we will be for where we were created We will be with God forever and we will walk with Him and we will talk with Him and all shame will be gone, all pain will be gone, all sin will be gone, all suffering will be gone and we will live in paradise. That's what Jesus said it's like. But until that day, until that day, we will ask questions. Rest assured, God is big enough to answer them. And know His promises will never fail. Because He is God. He is God. Bow with me, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the hope that it brings. We thank You that it's in these words we can rest And we can find peace and even joy in the midst of our pain. Lord, I just pray right now that you would just minister in this place. Speak truth into the heart of every believer. And Lord, if someone's here who doesn't know you through Jesus, Lord, draw them. To that name, the name above every name, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. We just give you these moments.
pray that you would speak and pray that you would move. And we pray it in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This morning as we close.